this year, I had the opportunity to be invited to a Pastors Basketball League. The league is composed of 10 teams that represent a combination of the various Christian churches and denominations around Metro Manila. We play for fun, fellowship, and of course, fitness. Through the first few games that we have played together, I noticed that each player in our team is different and each one makes a difference by the way he plays. There are players who are vocal and enthusiastic in the court. They are the energizers of our team. There are those who are good at diving for the loose ball. There are those who are good at shooting the ball or at passing or at defending and so on. But what I also notice is that during crucial moments of the game, while everyone is rattled and overwhelmed with panic and pressure, there would be those one to two players who would be different because they remain calm under pressure. This is crucial because these two help make the right decisions and the right plays during the crucial moments of the game. It is their influence that many times spell the difference for the team to turn a seeming defeat into victory. During crucial moments of the game, these two were different from the rest and they made the biggest difference that affected the whole team. Through basketball, I realized that each one of us can not only have the opportunity to play our roles, but also the opportunity to make a difference and influence the people around us. Because in reality, whatever you do, whether intentionally or unintentionally, makes a difference. You just have to choose what kind of difference you want to make to those around you. As believers called by God, we are called to make a difference for Christ. After all, we are called to be the salt and light of this world, to make a difference in order to win more for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, how can we be different so that we can make a difference to the team, to the family, to the community, to the church, or to the people around us? This is what we want to look at in our text today. Our text, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 32, is a call to be different in order to make a difference for Christ. A change that Paul says is brought about by a real and transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. A change that he wanted to see in the believers in, in Ephesus, which was a place where pagan worship, ungodly practices, sexual immoralities, and every form of evil was rampant. Paul calls believers followers of God, to live in a way that is different, in a way that is consistent and compatible with our faith. A different lifestyle that is seen in the way we, we interact with the people and the world around us. How can we make a difference for Christ? The Apostle Paul recognizes that we live in an environment that has been corrupted by sin and is characterized by evil and ungodliness that is rampant in the society during those times. And even in our time today, there is the rise of hatred and racism, of corruption everywhere, of lust, immoralities, of greed, of bad treatment of other people, and so on. Ungodliness that takes the shape in many different forms that even followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who are not careful and mindful are prone to participate in as well. Paul strongly insists that God's people are to live differently from the world as a result of being transformed and renewed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at our text, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 19. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you, believers, should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. 
this does not pertain to race per se. Paul is not calling us to stop living ethnically like an American, a Chinese, a Filipino, a Korean, a Japanese, but rather it refers to the ungodly, to the lifestyle of those who do not believe in God. Since we are now in Christ, we are to no longer live like the ungodly. And here lies our first key. How we can make a difference for Christ will depend on, number one, our ability to say no to ungodliness. Why? Because the ungodly live a different lifestyle. Verse 17, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. With regards to mindset, the minds of the ungodly have been darkened blacked out, they are not enlightened, that their thoughts have become futile, unenlightened enough that they reject God, they live without recognizing God. Perhaps their futile thoughts is that God is just an option, an additive. He is not really a necessity in life. They don't need Him. Notice the effect of a darkened mind to the ungodly in verse 18, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Their darkened minds, their rejection of God has led them to blind hearts. With regards to their heart condition, they are separated from God. Their hearts are hard. They shun away God. They don't see the need for God in their lives. Perhaps they would tell you, don't listen to the church sermons. Don't go to church. Don't read the Bible. It does not apply to you. Don't listen to the pastor speaking in front of you. And the more we shun away God, guess what? The more our hearts are hardened. This is the way of the ungodly and it continues to get even worse. Verse 19, Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. With regards to their actions, since God is not in their lives, there is a lack of moral restraint. And there is willful participation in indecency, in sexual perversion, in immoral behavior, in greed. Because without God, they also do not have that spiritual and moral compass. They don't have that guilt. Their hearts have become numbed to guilt, numbed to God. Their darkened minds, which led to blind hearts, has now led them to impure actions. Notice the connection. It begins with the mind that rejects God, hearts that become hard, resulting to actions that are impure. This is the way of the ungodly. The NIV renders it, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Three key words that describe the lifestyle of the ungodly, uncleanness, morally impure, evil, and unclean thoughts. Greediness, they are never satisfied, perhaps with money, but, and also with self-pleasure. They are always craving and asking for more. And lewdness, this is a word that is not used often, it refers to someone whose life is so much into sin, so much so that he no longer cares about what others think. He doesn't feel embarrassed he, or any shame with their sinful actions. They, these are probably those 
who participate in indecency, obscenity, vulgar, sexual character, behavior, green jokes, sexual jokes, and the likes. As I was preparing this message, I read that in Greece, during those times, one of the practices included how teenager boys were given to adults to be molested. It was a practice for their sexuality to be opened. That's what the ungodly and the pagans do during those times. And Paul says we should no longer live like the ungodly or the pagans. This is what, what happens when you reject God. It becomes a downward spiral because there is no moral authority, no moral compass to guide you. This resonates with Romans chapter 1 which says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. The sins we experience today, the distortions of the truth, perversions of sexuality, the promotion of evil was already happening during those times. And it is still happening even in our time today. So don't be surprised one day as people continue to reject God, maybe a few years from now, lying and cursing would be the new normal. Wickedness and corruption will be an acceptable practice. Having a third party is cool. Murder, very easy. And mer marriage will no longer be limited to humans, but to animals, to things, to anything. This is what happens when we reject God. It is a downward spiral towards sin. As followers of God, the Bible calls us to say no, to no longer live like the ungodly that we used to be. With regards to our hearts, with regards to our minds and actions, we can say no to ungodliness because we have already been redeemed and transformed by God. Just to clarify, this does not mean that we should no longer or that we should never be with our unbelieving friends. We should. What we are to avoid are the sinful and ungodly practices that the world embraces. Paul's point is that we cannot continue to live like the ungodly and expect to make a difference for our Lord Jesus Christ. Say no to ungodliness. I heard about this believer. He was driving down the road when he was pulled over by a policeman. The officer came to his window and smelled alcohol. He saw a thermos and asked, Sir, what are you drinking? The believer said, Just water, officer. He asked to see the thermos. He took one sniff and said, This certainly smells like wine to me. The believer said, Wow, Jesus did it again. Friends, God has already saved us from our sins. Let us say no to ungodliness so that we can say yes to the teachings of Jesus in the new life we ought to live. Verses 20 to 24. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. 
that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul wrote this reminder to the churches where sexual immorality, different kinds of impurities, wickedness, evil are normal and customary in that place. He reminds believers that you who are in Christ should live not according to what is customary and convenient, but according to God's standards for righteousness and holiness. Because number two, how we make a difference in the world will depend on our ability to do what is righteous and holy over what is customary and convenient. I heard before some people on TV would comment, God is so good and gracious that you can come to Him just as you are. With your immoralities, your ungodliness, your sinful lifestyle, and you can stay the same and never change anything inside and outside of you. That God will still accept you and you don't need to change anything. Is that true? Paul tells us that as believers, God has given us a new nature which ought to make a difference in how we live our lives. Being a believer does not negate our propensity, and our tendency to sin. In fact, it is magnified even more since we continue to live with the sinful desires of our flesh. Yes, God may have given us a new spirit, a new identity, but our bodies, together with, it, with its sinful desires, remain the same. This is the ongoing spiritual battle within us. The question is, who or which nature, which identity will we allow to take control over us. This is what we call sanctification. Can you identify with the internal struggle that Paul is showing us here? Were there times when you were tempted to do something sinful or bad, but there is this voice of the Holy Spirit telling you, don't do it. You eat at a restaurant, you pay your bill, and you notice that instead of a hundred peso change, they mistakenly put a one thousand peso bill. Your old nature tells you it's his fault, so thank you, take it. But your new nature tells you, return it, do what is right in the eyes of God. Which do you follow? As you enter church, you see the usher standing by the door. You remember, last week this usher failed to greet me. Your old nature tells you, retaliate, snub the usher, roll your eyes, look to the left, ignore but your new nature tells you, be kind, smile, say good morning. Which nature do you follow? You are tempted to do something illegal, either to misdeclare something to sexual immorality, your body really, really wants you to do it to satisfy your fleshly desires, but the Holy Spirit tells you, don't do it. It's not good in the eyes of God. Which do you follow? You attend a worship service. You really wanted to stay awake. But the aircon is so cold and you feel very sleepy. Your nature tells you, go ahead, sleep. The speaker is boring. But your new nature tells you, wake up. You need to listen to God's word. Which nature or which do you follow? As they say, the struggle is real. 
we are called to sanctification. This is to consciously strive to live out righteousness and holiness as this is our new identity in Christ. We take off the old clothes, the old sinful nature, the old sinful man that we formerly were accustomed to, the ungodly practices in our lives, together with its sinful mentality, its attitude, its, and every selfish intentions, because those, according to the Apostle Paul, are deceitful lust. They entice you to do it only to find out in the end that it is empty and ugly. We are to take those off because it leads to nothing. Paul gives us a picture here. How many of us here love to wear our old shirts? One that's so old that its fabric has become so soft and comfortable because of the many years of washing. Even if the garter looks like a bacon, even if its sleeves are torn apart, and it really looks like a rug, we still love to wear it. Your parents or your partners, they tell you to stop wearing it, they buy you a new one, but we always keep coming back and finding ourselves wearing it again because we are so accustomed and used to it. Exactly, that is exactly what Paul tells us. Put it off the old clothes. Get rid of your old clothes, which represents your old sinful lifestyle. Last week, while I was doing my car wash, I noticed there were some tree saps. These are the white, uh, sticky, gluey entity that fell and stuck on my car. I remember a friend of mine who told me that I have to remove those immediately because those tree saps, no matter how small they seem, will slowly corrode and permanently damage the paint of the car. It has to be removed to protect the paint from damage. We also are to remove the old because according to verse 22, it grows corrupt, meaning it will destroy you. And, you, and to remove it is actually to your advantage. You save yourself from a destructive lifestyle. In casinos, you start small. If you don't stop, you soon will realize that you've emptied and gambled away your entire savings. So when you are going back to your old sinful nature or sinful ways, tell yourself, put it off, get rid of it, because it will destroy you. Instead, we are to put on our new nature which God has given us. So how do we stop, get rid of the old, and put on the new man with its new heart, new mindset, new spirit, new Lord, new lifestyle, this new nature which is created in righteousness and holiness so that we can start to live in it. Verse 23 is the key. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind or take on a new mind. Create again a new mind. It begins by changing the way you think or changing what you think. Renewing your mind and train it to be like Christ or to think like Christ. The key to living differently begins with taking control of what you think and the way you think. Change won't happen unless we begin to change our minds. According to Oswald Sanders, the mind of the man is the battleground on which every moral and spiritual battle is fought. The battle against sin and its fleshly desires are fought inside our minds. What you think will affect your behavior and even your emotions. Isn't it true? Our minds are so powerful. Sometimes when you think someone hates you or someone is against you, guess what? 
even when it has no real basis, you take every word, analyze every statement word for word, and every action or non-action as evidence to prove in our minds the conclusion that he or she really hates us or she is against us, even when it is truly and clearly not. Our minds are so powerful that it can drive our behavior. Before, I used to think that my finances are my own. So every time I gave to the Lord, at the back of my mind, Lord, this is equivalent to X numbers, number of hours already. And I sometimes grumble, thinking with my 10%, I would be able to buy something and eat uh, good food with this amount. I am not that excited every time I give. But when I understood that God owns my finances, that He is the one who gave me the ability to produce, that what I give Him is just 10%, and, what, and when I think about it, He allows me to enjoy the 90%. My perspective changed, my behavior changed, and my attitude towards giving to God changed from grumbling to gratitude. The mind is so powerful. Sometimes when you see the big red word S-A-L-E or the 5-5 five five or 6-6, six six, your mind starts to think, add to cart, add to cart. And many times, I myself, even when I don't need anything, I would still look for what to buy just so that I can join the sale. My mind has been conditioned and I feel helpless and powerless against 5-5 five five and 6-6. Six six. What your mind thinks will drive your actions and your behavior. The mind is crucial according to the Apostle Paul and our transformation as believers begins with the renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That is why also in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we are to bring every thought captive and make it obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. When you have the right mind, it will result to right doctrine, and right living, and right feeling. A right understanding of sin will help you live righteously. A right understanding of your finances will help you to, to a right handling of it as well. A right understanding of marriage and relationships will help you have a right behavior towards people. A right understanding of our new nature in Christ, according to the Apostle Paul, will lead us to live differently. There was a people group among the tribes in Papua New Guinea. Before this tribe became believers of God, they used to practice ritualistic tribal dances in their annual festivals, where they would shout out the names of their enemies from neighboring tribes, whom they want to be killed by their idols. When they were converted to Christianity, they still continued to do their rituals uh, during their annual festivals. But this time, while they were dancing, they do not anymore sing their murder songs. But what they shouted now are not the names of the enemies they wanted to be killed, but the names of sins in their hearts that they hated and which they wanted to be free from. Although they still struggled with hatred with, for their enemies they wanted to be killed, but that the same struggle was eventually pulled down as they continued to take control of their minds. Their old ways of thinking and living was transformed and renewed according to the truths of our Lord Jesus Christ.
How do we renew our minds? Two primary ways, by spending time in God's Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to mold us, to shape us, to transform us, one thought, one habit, one day at a time. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The old sinful nature versus the new nature created in righteousness, it boils down to your choice. Which will you choose? Four Christian friends met for a friendly gathering. During one of the conversations, one of the friends said, We come here to meet and pour our hearts out, confessing our secret sins and needs. The other said, let's go and start doing that, since confession is good for our soul. In due time, everyone agreed and one confessed he would sneak out from his wife and would go to the movie houses without permission. The second confessed to addiction to smoking cigars and spending all night in a hotel for a drinking spree. The third one confessed to playing in the casino where he gambled their savings away. And when it came to the fourth one, he wouldn't confess. The others pressed him, saying, Come now, we confessed ours. What's your secret sins and vice? Finally, he answered, Gossiping, and I can hardly wait to get out of here. Friends, let us leave behind our old sinful ways and let us start to embrace this new identity in Christ and begin to do what is righteous and holy. Let us resemble Christ in the different aspects of our lives and start making a difference in the lives of others. Number three, how can we make a difference in the world will depend on our ability to give others a Christ-like treatment. Nowadays, your treatment of others, whether they are your customers at the restaurant, clients, friends, churchmates, your treatment of them is important. It can determine whether or not they will come for a second visit. In line with our new identity in Christ, Paul gives us a list of action points that will help us visualize what this looks like and how we can live differently for Christ. These are contrasting action points that can be lived out immediately as we try to renew our minds to think like Christ. Notice in verses 25 to 32 that all of these are directly related not only with our individual life as believers, but also with our community life. We are to live out our new identity in Christ in the context of community. Verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The first behavioral change in relation to our treatment of others is to get rid of all lying, deceit, and falsehood. Falsehood and lying was rampant during those times, especially with the pagans. Lying to one another was normal, and Paul tells believers to stop lying and falsehood. Falsehood is a more generic term which extends beyond the words and even to the lifestyle where we project a different image that is not the real us. We declare something that is not true. It is not limited to lies, to wrong information, to gossip, to fake news, 
or to deception. In social media, are we projecting something that is not true? In telling our stories, do we sugarcoat it in a way that will make ourselves look good? In our declarations, if we declare something wrong, you know, we feel it. When we say something about ourselves that is not true, that is also falsehood. When we are at home, we are always angry. But when we arrive at the church, wow, hallelujah, we are always holy. Falsehood. Get rid of all falsehood. Our new nature tells us that we are bearers and speakers of truth. Wherever you are, be truthful and put on the new nature in Christ. Paul gives us the reason why we, are, why we should speak truth to one another because we are members of one another. We belong to the same community of faith. How can we lie to each other? Second, another thing that we are to put off is verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your raft, nor give place to the devil. The second behavioral change relates with how we deal with anger. Notice it does not say, do not get angry, but instead, be angry and do not sin. Meaning, there is a kind of anger that is not sinful, and there is a way to handle anger that makes it sinful. Because even as believers, there will be instances that will, will and should make us angry. Like sin, injustices, evil, ungodliness, we should hate sin just as God hates sin. Paul's point is that believers should be able to express anger appropriately without sinning. I remember an instance in the U.S. when a civilian, George Floyd, was killed by an officer who knelt on his neck for several minutes. Sure, the people were rightly outraged by this evil act. But the following day, many went to the streets to protest, and the protest became a violent one which led to multiple deaths and countless damages to properties. What I mean to say is, being angry even with the right reasons, does not give anyone the permission to commit sins. Wrong does not make wrong right. In your anger, do not sin. And the Bible tells us, do not let the sun go down in your anger. We usually hear this verse used for husband and wives. When they have conflicts, say, honey, you know, it's 11.59 p.m. We are about to sleep. Let's be in good terms. And the wife says, but this applies not only in marriage, but also to us, to everyone in the community. We are not to nurse anger, to baby it, to let it linger. Why? Because when you do so, we give the devil an opportunity. Our anger will grow. And moreover, when we are angry, sometimes we are not rational. We tend to do or say things that we will eventually regret. When you are angry, pause and let your anger subside so that it won't become the devil's opportunity to make you do things that are not Christ-like. Third, verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. 
The third behavioral change that should be seen in us deals with our work ethic. It touches on the topic of theft and stealing, which during those times was common between slaves and masters. Our new nature in Christ transforms our mindset from always selfishly taking and hoarding for ourselves to giving and sharing with others as we imitate God who Himself gave generously His own Son to us. This is evident in what happened in the church in Acts chapter 2. Those who have something to share, joyfully shared with those who are in need. It, it is a very beautiful picture of the community life rooted in Christ Jesus. The fourth one relates back to speech. Verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Corrupt, unwholesome talk in the original word means rotten and filthy. It is used to refer to rotten fish or rotten fruit, which we don't eat because when we consume it, it will make you sick and we know that it provides you no nourishment. Believers will not use words that will make people sick. We are not to have corrupt, foul, unwholesome talk, obscenities, cussing, abusive language, insults, vulgarity, hurtful and unkind words, slanderous words, lies, rumors, and gossips in our talks, in our conversations, because those are not nourishing. That is our old way of life. But rather, God's people are responsible and they use their words differently. They speak in a way that builds up and blesses people, and they give grace to its hearers. We treat people better than what they deserve. As we have received grace from God, now it's our turn to show grace to others through our speech. After all, we all have been called to build up and encourage one another. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God's people are sensitive to the Holy Spirit who indwells us and renews us daily. The Holy Spirit is given to us to enable us and to transform us to become more and more like Christ. However, at times, we have the tendency to resist and to refuse His leading. Whenever we talk unwholesomely, during those times that we have become selfish, times when we have sinned in our anger, times when we have been ungracious to others, those were times wherein we not only hurt each other and the church, but also hurt the Holy Spirit who is working in each one of us. Paul says the Holy Spirit is grieving. God's people are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and they try their very best to live according to His leading. Lastly, verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. The sixth, Paul gives us a list of treating others. God's people are to be different in that we are to get rid. We are to put off and replace our evil treatment of others and treat them with kindness, just as God treated us. God's people are different in that they are not bitter. 
we are not wrathful, we do not unleash and vent our wrath and anger on anyone because no one deserves our wrath. Clamor, yelling, evil speaking, along with every form of malice are also not to be found in our treatment of other people. These are anti-new nature. Instead, our new nature involves being kind. Where kind is the very being of a person, the starting point is his being. He is to be, be kind. Because when you are kind and compassionate to one another, we become understanding and forgiving to each other. We become kind enough to love our brothers and sisters who are not perfect, who are still works in progress. When you are not kind, you demand people to be perfect even when you yourself are not perfect. Notice the combination, be kind and forgiving because God is still at work in each one of us. I heard about this elderly couple. They were sitting on a swing celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. Feeling romantic, the husband said to his wife, Honey, our love is tried and true. She had difficulty hearing and asked him to repeat it. He said it louder. I said, our love is tried and true. She still couldn't hear it. What? Would you speak up? Frustrated, he shouted, our love is tried and true. She said, well, fine. I'm sick of you too. In our community life, there will be times when we will be sick of each other. We will be hurting each other unintentionally. You know, someone just doesn't greet you, you feel bad. Someone calls you auntie or uncle, you feel bad. Someone does not invite you to a party or to an event, you feel bad. Sometimes you comment to others, you look good, and he doesn't reciprocate your comment, you feel bad. Sometimes we just fail to greet someone a happy birthday, and that we feel bad. We are like that. We all have that potential to hurt and to be hurt by others. And when that happens, be kind and forgive each other. Why? Just as Christ forgave you, be kind and be forgiving. This is what happens when you put on your new nature. It will show in the ways we treat other people. When you are kind and forgiving, along with all the things that Paul has mentioned, in verses 25 to 32, you give others a Christ-like treatment. A girl was given an assignment by her teachers in her kinder class to draw something that had a great impact in her life. She went home thinking about what to draw so that she could submit it before the deadline the following day. The following day, her teacher saw and was curious as to why she had drawn a hand that extended and that appeared to be reaching out to someone. The girl shared her story to her teacher. A year ago, it was her first day at school. She was nervous, she had no friends, and she was new. While walking towards the front to her, of her classroom, she recalled how she accidentally tripped and fell and hit her knees hard to the ground. She couldn't move. It was painful, she said. While she was still facing the ground, she didn't know what to do. She couldn't muster enough courage to stand. She was scared, and tears started to flow from her eyes. 
everyone was laughing hard and making fun of her fall, except for one, her teacher, who kindly extended her hand towards her. She helped her stand back up, hug her tight, and told her it's all right, and guided her safely towards her seat. That day, she said, she remembered how someone who showed kindness and love towards her, how it made a great difference in her life even today. Friends, you and I can make a difference. Be the reason why people would want to know Christ by giving them a Christ-like treatment. Imagine if we together would do these three things in our families, in our communities, in our church, we would not only serve as a great witness to the people around us, but we would also build up the next generation with a culture that is biblically and radically different. Today, I want to challenge all of us. Be the difference for Christ wherever you are. Say no to ungodliness. Do what is righteous and holy over what is customary and convenient. Give others a Christ-like treatment. You may only be one person, you might think, but you can be one person who makes the difference. You may not be able to do everything, but you can always do something. And no matter how small you think your something is, remember that small things can make a big difference. Every day, before you leave your house, look at your spiritual mirror, the Word of God. Check yourself, how can I make a difference in someone else's life today? When you go to work, to your office, to your schools, to your homes, be different. Be the boss, the student, the family member. Be the kind of person who does not curse, who does not shout at others, who does not gossip, who does not speak ill and harsh towards others. Surprise them by being extra kind, nice, and encouraging. Live and lead by example. Show them what your new nature in Christ looks like and feels like. To the point that they ask you, what happened to this person? What did you eat? I hope that at our church, we would also continue to strive to be different. To the point that outsiders would notice how people at GCCP are so different because the presence of Christ is so obvious in them. Friends, let us be different so that we can make a difference for Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your challenge to us today. Help us live lives that are radically different because of the gospel. Lives that make the presence of Christ in us so obvious to others. Enable us to treat others with a Christ-like treatment so people would know how great and how gracious and loving a God you are. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.